Negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. Camp Takeoff 2022 is a go. Coverage presented by 72 Souls and Kona Brewing. The home of Arizona Cardinals football. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Camp Takeoff 2022 with Arizona Sports Saturday. Welcome back to Arizona Sports Saturday, covering all things Arizona Cardinals this week as the preseason has begun. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Vereldis with you, and we are spending today reacting to yesterday's first preseason game for the Arizona Cardinals. And to help us do that, he's our Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. Tyler Drake joins us now. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you? What is going on, guys? I'm doing good. We finally got to see some uh, actual football, even though it is preseason. But yeah, we're doing good. How are you guys doing? Uh, pretty good. I mean, all things considered, a win is a win, right? Although preseason wins are not exactly the ones we care about. How do you weigh what we saw in yesterday's game? Because there's not a lot of starters out there. There's not a lot of big takeaways to have. But as an insider for the Cardinals, what did you see yesterday that is a big takeaway? Well, you know, for me, I think uh, one of the biggest things is just the uh, the clean play that they had. I mean, they only had, I think, three penalties all game. So that's one thing. Just uh, obviously, like I said, not a lot of starters are playing. But still good to see that kind of operation in the first preseason game. And then after that, you know, it's really, for me, it was uh, Victor Dimikaji, which I think a lot of people are talking about today, is just the two sacks really stand out. You know, his play was excellent. You know, you could tell that he's taken that next step, and that's really what it's going to come down to uh, when it comes to roster cuts is, is how is he doing in that battle for outside linebacker. And who knows, maybe maybe that's the start of maybe a dark horse. Maybe he gets a couple opportunities to be that guy that they're looking for to replace Chandler Jones, which is going to be a collective effort. But, yeah, and then on top of that, I would say Christian Matthew for a cornerback. I think, uh, you know, he had some really solid uh, plays and coverage and also had the uh, pass breakup and – for a guy that wore mitts for most of the training camp, it seemed like it, it, you could tell that he uh, has righted the wrongs of holding in PI. So that was certainly something that was promising. And for again, another room that has a lot of question marks, that's, that's just a good way to go about things. So you pointed out a lot of individuals on defense to start. So I guess that's where I'll take this part of the conversation. I want to start specifically with the guys who we knew we're going to play and are likely going to see regular time during the regular season. What did you like or dislike from both Zaven and Marco Wilson yesterday? Uh, you know, that's not was, good. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, Hey, I, let's, let's be, let's be real. Let's, I mean, these are two guys that should be starters. And if you're into a preseason game with a lot of backups on both sides of the football, these guys should be standing out. And to me, they didn't really stand out. Zaven, you know, had had a play where Ron Wolf even went back and, and, you know, replayed it on TV where he kind of just ran into a guy and didn't really have a move there. He just kind of got swallowed up. And then Marco Wilson, I heard you talking about it earlier, about how, you know, he not only committed P.I., the guy still made the catch. So just it's just a couple of just they got they've got to start stacking some consistent, you know, practices or performances together to really gain that trust back because I think we've heard it we've heard it from Cliff with with Marco especially you know the jury's still out and I think after this game the jury is still out I mean when you've got Antonio Hamilton now really jostling for that second spot in my eyes that's that's a problem so we're talking with Tyler Drake. He's our Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. And Ty, right there, we're talking about Wilson and Collins, two guys who are starters, yeah, but they're also young guys who are still trying to, you know, mold into something. 
let's talk about other types of starters. Guys who are like established, Kyler Murray, uh, the offensive linemen, guys like that. Do you expect we're going to see a lot of them throughout the rest of the preseason? Because we're already seeing around the league other quarterbacks like Zach Wilson gets hurt, Nick Harris, an offensive lineman gets hurt. Are the Cardinals willing to risk that to play some of their starters in game two of the preseason? You know, I don't think it's worth it, to be completely honest, with just with what we saw with the Zach, Zach Wilson uh, injury, which sounds like it's not as terrible as we all kind of thought when we first saw it. But, you know, looking at that and just looking at the other injuries that are that are popping up, it's just one of those things where you don't want to play those starters. It's, it's preseason. Get a, you know, get a couple practices in where it's really, really comp- competitive 11-on-11s, you know, maybe go through it that way instead of throwing a guy out there for – four plays, five plays, and the potential of him getting hurt. I mean, the Jalen Hurts, I mean, you guys saw the Jalen Hurts hit out of bounds, too. I mean, egregious. even something like that could happen, and, and who knows? I mean, it, it's just one of those things. It's preseason. Everybody that doesn't have a roster spot is fighting so hard to get one, and they're going to just they're, they're gonna go full speed. And, and some of these starters, I really don't think, are going full speed in these preseason games, because why would you? And, you know, a perfect example is Will Hernandez. He, I think he should not have played as much as he played last night. Luckily, he didn't get hurt or anything like that. But he showed that that dude is the starting right guard. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So I would say don't play him anymore. Don't play any more of the O-line. And really, I don't think you need to play Kyler. He, knew, he knows the offense. And, hey, he's calling plays, so just let him call plays. What other opinions did you find that you think you're solidified when it comes to this team and this roster last night? Because when you and I were chatting, there was a conversation that we had specifically about the running back room. Are you still firm on that stance? Yeah, I, I think we need – I thought – I expected more out of Eno for sure. I think a lot of people did just with all the hype and everything, but I still believe that it's probably James Conner, Eno, uh, Daryl Williams – and then you've got Jonathan Ward and Keontae Ingram. But here's the thing is, who do you keep at the end there? Because, you know, Cliff has kept four running backs before. He's mentioned that that's kind of the magic number this year. But I think we're seeing enough out of Ward and Ingram to really warrant maybe having a fifth running back, which sounds bizarre. But if they can keep the special, if they can really show their chops in the special teams play, I just think if either one of those guys go to the practice squad, I think Jonathan Ward has a better chance to stay on the practice squad. But who knows? Somebody could go and pick those guys up right away, and, and the Cardinals won't have them. So I think that's just that's going to be a battle. That whole room outside of James Conner is, is such a fun battle to watch just because it's a really competitive from two to five. So really quick follow-up then, and I'm not saying it's going to come down to this, but if it were to come down to a decision as to whether or not to keep a third quarterback or a decision as to whether or not to keep a fifth running back, what's the likely lean? Ooh, ooh, that's a good one. I would say it's ah, man, that's tough. I would I, I would almost say that they would rather keep a quarterback just because you have that many running backs. But here's the thing: I mean, if they play themselves into the into the tier of we can't cut this guy or put him on the practice squad, or yeah, or either or, like they're just have to keep both. Like they're gonna have to find somewhere else to cut because I could see them both wanting to keep Trace, and I could see them both wanting to keep uh, Keontae Ingram. Yeah, I think I would probably lean the running back, though, because I think all five of those guys would likely get picked up anywhere else, whereas Trace McSorley I don't think is getting picked up on a 53-man roster right away. He could probably yeah, stay on the practice squad for a minute. Exactly, yeah. So that's that's just that's the, that's the kind of the game now that they've got to play or that they're going to have to play. Is, yeah, I mean, and especially if, if they're showcasing these guys like Jonathan Ward and Keontae last night, they both they had three touchdowns combined. So 
I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how this uh, roster shakes out just because of really both of those spots. We're talking with Tyler Drake. He's our Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. Go check out his stuff. He's got everything from the preseason and training camp. Uh, last night, you mentioned briefly, Kyler Murray gets to call plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury handing that over to his star quarterback. Was that something that they were trying to teach him some sort of lesson, like humble him a little bit, show him how <laughs> difficult it is? Or was there an underlying meaning to why the Cardinals decided to do that? I think it was uh, one just uh, – well, uh, he started doing it in a training camp, he, uh, and, and it was more so because he was coming off of uh, the COVID-19 stint and he still had the sore wrist. So that was kind of a thing to keep him in the offense, and I think uh, it did also, in a way, show him. I think Kingsbury even said, like, yeah, take it over, man. Let's see you do it. Like, I want to see you in my shoes. And I think, <laughs> I think he came away uh, understanding there's a little more to play calling than just uh, throwing something out there. But, yeah, I think it's uh, – why not? Why not? There's It's preseason. I think that really the only person that's getting hurt is Jerry G, which is Jared uh, <laughs> Guarantano, because you would think that you'd want to have a head coach or a play, an actual play caller calling plays in a preseason game that you want to try to look good in and make a roster spot. But that would be about the only negative I would say about that. Other than that, it's Murray staying involved with the offense, you know, staying involved on the sidelines. I think if – it was anybody else like a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen type person. I think a lot more people would be talking about it. So that's just, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think on it. Yeah. We were talking about it earlier too, as like, usually those opportunities, especially in the preseason end up going to a young coach, like in the past with Bruce Arians, that, he would pass that off to Harold Goodwin, who didn't usually yeah. get to call plays. Then he would pass it on to Byron Leftwich later in his career. Uh, and on a team where Kingsbury is the head coach and play caller, you would have thought that he would use that opportunity to give it to a young coach, not necessarily his starting quarterback. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that either <laughs> that's one of those things that, that that's definitely a question for sure. That's a good point for sure. Uh, you'd think maybe like a Spencer Whipple or somebody like that might get an, uh, a shot at calling some plays. And who knows? I mean, there's still two more preseason games. Maybe it was just, uh, all right, Kyler, go, go do it. Let's just see what you can do. All right, last one, Ty, before we let you go. And this comes to us courtesy of uh, Tom Keeble over on the, uh, over on the news side. Uh, he <laughs> wants to know if you're at the zoo today. Oh man, I wish that would be, that would have been a great day. It's a little hot though. <laughs> Always uh, at the actually, zoo. Actually, actually going to uh, to a golf course, but I don't think I'm golfing. So oh, it's like I'm like teasing myself a little bit. So that's going to be fun. But it'll yeah. be a nice little birthday party. That's <laughs> nice. That'll be fun. There's less animals at the golf course than the zoo. I'm made. To hey, there's a lot of geese believe. and uh, gonna, you know squirrels. I was going to say I think okay. there's a contest to that. I saw I saw a bald eagle once when I went golfing. It was kind of it was kind of trippy. Kind of trippy. All right, Ty, we'll let you go. Have your fun thanks so much for hopping in for a few all right guys see you later all right man that's tyler drake he's our cardinals insider at arizona sports.com go check out his stuff all the coverage that you could possibly need or want for, for arizona cardinals yeah it's for free free. For free free baby it's not just about dan bickley free like everything that we have Free, and really? I'm not just talking about the preseason game either. Like we can we can rehash things that happen in a game with a bunch sure. of players that are not going to be a big part of this organization. Mm-hmm. But really, the bigger picture here is training camp and getting ready for this season. It's been a tumultuous off season, I guess you could call it, or 
dramatic. <laughs> if you want to use times. a light word, you can use tumultuous. Yeah. Um, but I think that they're coming into their own. This is a really important year for the direction of this organization because you have Kyler Murray still on a reasonable contract, somewhat uh, or salary, I should say. You just locked up your quarterback, your head coach, your GM for the foreseeable future. Like mm-hmm. whatever happens this year sets the tone for those contracts and for the this era of Arizona Cardinals football. So I think that it's uh, imperative that you check out Tyler Drake's stuff at ArizonaSports.com. Coming up next, I've been waiting all day to talk about this. Oh, yeah? Talk some baseball. All I'm right. a baseball nut. Something happened with an Arizona Diamondbacks prospect that you're going to have to want to know who this person is. You need to know who this person is. He's coming to the Valley soon. We'll tell you who that is next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. We are your Arizona Sports Saturday team, crew, group, however you want to label us. It's Boy band? <laughs> Wait, no. Sorry, we're not that. That's the only one. Gate. Right. (laughs) The only one of those things we are not is the one I said. Got it. (laughs) I can't wait for our new single. Um, I don't even know what the new single is. Anyway, so obviously yesterday was the first Cardinals preseason game. We've talked about it enough already for now. We'll get back into it next segment. But there is a big piece of news that came out earlier this week that has to do with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it came from our own John Gambadoro. And he said that it is highly, highly likely that Corbin Carroll, the top prospect in the Diamondbacks organization, and maybe the top prospect in all of Major League Baseball, is going to be a September call-up. And here's the kicker, because I know you're excited about this. I'm very excited. It is a one-way ticket up. Like, they don't want to send him back down. They will not send him back down. All right, so this is interesting on a couple of levels. If you're a casual baseball fan, or maybe you're not even a huge baseball fan at all, you might not know the name Corbin Carroll. You should. Yes. Corbin Carroll is the next star player for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I'm willing to go that route because he is such a good player. He was a first-round pick a couple of years ago. Um, he is tearing through the minor leagues this season. Spent most of the season in double-A. Killing it. And then just is killing it here in AAA with Reno. Yeah. And so to hear that he's going to get called up is awesome for a couple of reasons. The the key one is we've seen this all throughout baseball, especially in the last decade or two, is organizations, when they have a good player like that, they will manipulate their service time and call them up later than the, rather than sooner so that they get more time with them. They get more years. They, they go to free agency at an older age instead of younger. That doesn't appear to be an incentive that the that the Diamondbacks are going for. They appear to want to bring Corbin Carroll up. This is a, a team that's not contending. They're not competitive. They're not going to be in the playoffs. Well, so let's be fair to them right now. There's they're, what is it? They're 10, 9 games out of a wild card spot right now. So they're not mathematically out of it. They're, they're fourth in the division. They're, I don't think, look. 27 we, and a half games behind the Dodgers. Okay. <laughs> Let's, I'm, I'm so tired of talking about the division only because we know who's going to win, right? True. We can stop talking about the division. It's, it's a wild card thing. It's mathematically close to impossible for any team other than the Dodgers to win this division right now. Right. So I focus on the wild card. 
How many games out are they, you said? Let's say, uh, so out of the wild card, they are 11 and a half back. Okay, so they're not... That's still a lot. They're not out of it. They're far enough back where we can probably look to next season, though. Probably. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to be dis discrediting the team when they're actually playing decent baseball out of the All-Star break. But you just said something interesting. You said, we can look ahead to next season. What's funny about that is, we don't have to. Because the topic at hand here is actually something that's happening. Right. The only thing that we had left to look forward to is not contending for a wild card, which is, again, possible, not likely. The only thing we had left to look forward to was whether or not Corbin Carroll, the top hitting prospect in all of baseball right now was going to be called up by the Diamondbacks in September call-ups. Mm-hmm. And it looks like that's going to happen. And that extra nugget that you threw in there at the end from Gambo, that they want it to be a one-way ticket. That they want him to be on the team and not send him back down. Now, no service time manipulation for Carroll. Listen, some great prospects come up and then they inevitably get sent down if they if they struggle. I mean, look at what happened with Jared Kelnick and the Mariners. Jared yep. Kelnick's going to be a good player in this league, I think. But they didn't but he immediately came up, send didn't him down play well. after they called him up. No, but they did eventually because he wasn't clicking. Because he wasn't playing well. Yeah. yeah, so is it possible he gets sent down? Of course it is. But, like, but to gonna... hear that they want him up and keep him up is great. Yeah, basically this means he's going to get called up in September and then spring training is going to happen next March and he's going to be on the active roster. He will, because, you know, Jordan Luplo has only signed a one-year deal. He's not going to be back. That immediately frees, open, frees up a spot. Gamble pointed this out as well. There's one big issue with the Diamondbacks' current outfield once Carroll gets called up. Am I supposed to guess? Yeah. Uh, I'm curious if you know. Who plays center field? Because you got a lot of good players. Well, so that's one, but... Based off of Gambo's reporting, it sounds clear that Alec Thomas is going to be the center fielder. Good. He's been playing great defensively. And they're going to put Corbin Carroll in left because they like Varsho in right. Okay. But what's the I could com- argue that one, but okay. What's the commonality between Thomas, Varsho, and Carroll? They're all left-handed hitters. Yep. Is that bad? It's bad if you face a left-handed pitcher in today's day and age, apparently. I guess. So, that okay. So then here's the argument. You go out and you get a backup corner outfielder who crushes lefties. The problem is they did that, and they went and got Jordan Luplo. And he's hitting below 200. And he's awful. No offense. So You were supposed to do one thing, and you haven't done that, so and it hasn't worked out. The alternative route, then, isn't depth at the outfield that hits right-handed. It's solidifying the rest of your infield with, with right-handers. right-handers. Christian Walker. Pretty powerful right-handed hitter. Yeah. Cattell Marte is a switch hitter. Geraldo Perdomo is a switch hitter. But even so, you've got Jordan Lawler waiting in the wings. Nick Ahmed's been hurt. He's a right-handed hitter. This kid they just got, Emmanuel Rivera from Kansas City, he's got a nice power stroke from the right-handed side of the plate. And Carson Kelly is actually starting to come around to be more of that hitter that he was last year, too. So how big of a problem is it really in the It's outfield? not going to be. But it's a pretty first world problem to have. We have too many good young outfielders. But like, <laughs> but like, what I'm hoping for is if you call up Corbin Carroll and you put him with Dalton Varsho and Wright and Alec Thomas in center, that's going to be like 150 games of your 162. Is them three all out there together at the same time? I sure time? hope so. Like, That'd be awesome. Like, you don't want to wear them out. I'm not going to say like, oh my god, they have to play 162 games and then get ready for the postseason. Blah blah blah. No, I'm past that. But if they can get to like that 140. Or that 150 mark of all three of them at the same time in the same lineup, that's a huge win, in my opinion. So the other thing that happened in baseball, and I think this could have ripple effects throughout the league, 
Yesterday, we found out that star shortstop for the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr., was popped for a PED positive test. That's an 80-game suspension. He was supposed to come back. He's been injured all season He's been because rehabbing. of a reckless bike incident that happened. And by the mm-hmm. way, when they asked him, how'd you get injured? Like, did the bike injur- uh, bike incident create the injury? He goes, which one? Oh, God. What a great way to answer that question. Oh, so his recklessness led to him missing 70% of the season. He was supposed to be back. He was rehabbing in A this week. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be back, like, this weekend, if not early next week. Mm-hmm. And now he's popped with an 80-game suspension. You know, it's funny. I totally forgot about the the instance of how he got injured. Because a lot of the reaction I'm seeing coming from the clubhouse, like A.J. Preller, their GM, he is furious. He said something like, uh, we hope that he learns from this. Well, aside from that is, because your point about the bike incident, it's like we've already talked with him about his character, and now here we are talking with him about it again. We would have hoped he matured by now. I can't remember which player for the Padres said that. But it's pretty powerful when, like... I think that was Mike Clevenger. Like, yes, Mike Clevenger. Thank you. But it's like, here it is. Here's your best player. He got injured because of something that he had complete control over, right? And now here he is getting suspended for 80 games out of something that, quite frankly, he had complete control over. Here's the other thing, too. And I I don't want to get into too much specifics on this because I'm not a doctor or anything like that. But supposedly, Tatis said that he inadvertently took close... The ball, close to ball, close to ball, something like that, which is what he said. He was taking it to treat ringworm. Okay. The problem is he got the name wrong because close to ball is not used for ringworm. Another uh, drug called clobetasol is used for ringworm. So he's lying through his teeth okay. trying to come up with an excuse for why he got caught with this substance. I'm pretty sure it was the substance that he took contained the item. Because whatever medication he was on to treat this ringworm had clostable in it. That's how I read it. I don't know, man. Either way. I don't know. I trust the it, science a lot more than I trust excuse. the individual at this point. And this is an individual, that a very young player who had like one really, really good season but has had a bunch of injuries. Like you said earlier, he's been a little reckless on his own. They just paid him like over $300 million. $340 And don't get me wrong, he could come back from this after the suspension and play that all out and be fantastic. That that could totally happen. But this is a lot of negatives. A lot of red on that ledger for a guy who's early on in that contract. Really quickly, want to make one last point as to how it affects the Diamondbacks and then we'll break? Yeah. This trickles into next season, too. Sure does. And if this team plays well in September with Carroll called up and they set themselves up well in spring training next year... You have an absolutely massive opportunity to get a head start. I don't know for the division, but maybe to get ahead of some of these other teams that were contenders last year and contenders this year and set yourself up better for when the season starts to get into those dog days. Because if you get a good head start against the Padres, you might be set up well to contend with the Dodgers for the division and even some of the other teams in the wild card next year. Or the Dodgers could be up 27 and a half games like they currently are. It's ridiculous. It's an annual celebration. I'm interested to know, too, by the way, uh, and I don't know if we'll ever find this out. Did the Padres know about this suspension before they traded for Juan Soto? In the statements, they didn't. That's what they say. I don't know. In the statements, they didn't, and that's what I'm going by. Okay. 
Gotcha. Coming up next on the show, we've got a preseason NFL game to react to. The Cardinals win big. That that doesn't matter so much. But what are the big takeaways from a preseason game when most of the starters didn't play? We'll dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Camp Takeoff 2022 is a go. Coverage presented by 72 Souls and Kona Brewing. Taking off into the 2022 season, the Cardinals are hoping to soar like never before. The home of Arizona Cardinals football, 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Camp Takeoff 2022 with Arizona Sports Saturday. No, he caught a, he caught a couple really nice plays that just didn't work out. Um, had some guys open, so he uh, he does a good job with it. I, I've been impressed. That's head coach Cliff Kingsbury after last night's win in preseason game number one for the Arizona Undefeated, Cardinals. baby. Let's go. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Varellis with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. We do, in fact, have a NFL football game to react to. It's just, it's a preseason variety, which means that not a lot of starters played in last night's game. There are a few we can get into. No Kyler. Um, no Kyler. No, most of the offensive line. No what? No, any of the big names you were hoping to see yesterday? No, that was not the case. But there were a handful. Uh, Zayvon Collins got time with the defense. That's a player that a lot of people are going to have their eyes on in the preseason and training camp, and then mm-hmm. obviously the regular season as well. Mm-hmm. Will Hernandez, new right guard, played uh, our Cardinals insider Tyler Drake put it earlier. He said he played way more than I think he should have. Um, yeah, meaning he's, he's not, established, but he also made it sound like he solidified at that right guard spot. Like correct, yeah. so it sounds like the offensive line is set, which is two thumbs up. Great, glad that's out of the way. Marco Wilson played yesterday. We uh, unfortunately the the big play that I noticed of Marco Wilson's was when he got beat on a corner deep, and uh, he ended up interfering with the receiver, who ended up catching the ball yeah. anyway. By the way, that's what I always hate about pass interference is when the receiver still catches the ball. You're like, it's really? Like, if you were going to well, commit a penalty. At least make sure he doesn't catch it. <laughs> right. Because you, you you lose the yardage anyway because they're typically spot fouls. But, like, come on, man. That's what they always tell you when you play basketball. He, if you're going to foul the guy, foul him hard enough that he doesn't make the, just, the points. Now he's owning you up. It's like, oh, you think I can't catch it because you threw your arms on my arms? Well, guess what, dude? I still caught the football. Uh. One of the Take big it. one of the big storylines. I think this was a storyline before the game even happened yesterday, but the game plays into it a little bit. Is mm-hmm. the running back room? So you have five running backs of note on this roster. You mm-hmm. have James Conner, who's come back, uh, basically re-signed with the Cardinals after having a great season last year, scored a lot of touchdowns. He is your starting running back. 100%. I don't think anybody would argue that. Hundred percent. Okay. Then you have Daryl Williams who is kind of, in my mind, the number two running back only because he's had a 1,000-yard rushing season with another team in the NFL before. So he's an established veteran. Yes. He, it's fair to say he's number two on the well, so, depth chart? Well, so here's the thing. Going into yesterday's game, I don't think I would have said the same thing. Really? Because of all this hype and excitement around Eno. Okay, so then there's Eno Benjamin. And then yesterday's game happened, and now I'm wondering, oh. Good. Great. So now what? Yeah. So Eno Benjamin has been getting a lot of talk at training camp from the coaching staff that he's having, uh, I don't want to say a resurgence, but he, he he's, he's evolving he's in his role. He's a lot of attention. Yeah. They, they seem to like him a lot. And this is a couple years in for him now. Now is the time to really see what you've got in Eno Benjamin. So I agree with you. He's probably in that three, anywhere between two and four on the depth chart is pretty much vague. Yeah. So you got Daryl Williams, you got James Conner, you got Eno Benjamin. Keontae Ingram was a guy who was drafted this season by the Cardinals, 
good career at USC in college. Um, obviously, the youth at the running back position is something you need because running backs are so interchangeable. And while he's not a super high pick, so even if he were to get cut, you're not like distraught over that. No. But then your fifth running back is Jonathan Ward, who is really more well-known for playing special teams with this team. Mm-hmm. And he had two touchdowns last night. I wouldn't say he ran the ball super well, but they, he had two touchdowns. They were both a yard. Right. Like, I don't want to give too much discredit to a dude who scored twice, but also, if you're if you're a running back and you're built that way, I expect you to score from one yard out nine times out of nine. You know? And he did that Ten twice. times out of ten if you're Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> as long as you don't throw a slant. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing keeping him out of the end zone. Why did they pass from one yard I out? I still can't figure that out. But... Did yesterday's game impact the running back room depth chart in your mind at all? Or do we have to look at this with a grain of salt because it's a preseason well, I game? Think, I think slightly yes, only in the negative direction, though. Because I think this was the game that Eno Benjamin was supposed to show us that he can be a number two. That he can surpass all of these other guys on the roster that have either been here or been around in the NFL before. And rookie Keontae Ingram, by no fault of his own, being a rookie. Only 17 yards last night on five carries doesn't really do it for me. It's not yeah, really it's showing much. a pretty much. small sample size. Sure, but he still played the entire first quarter. It's not like they ran him out there and gave him 20 carries and he got 15 yards. You know what I mean? I guess the argument I would give is that he didn't really do anything to benefit the progress of each drive. Also, I misspoke. Five for 14. Five for 14. He didn't really do anything to progress the drives all that much if anything the person extending drives a lot more or really working hard to make sure they got a ton of yards was trace mcsorley yeah he ran effectively that spin move out there in the backfield that little dump off to ward and then that deep pass to andy isabella trace mcsorley played very well last night to tangent real quick no i like that tangent because i think it's important he he was the starting quarterback in the game yesterday and you have to wonder where does he fit obviously he's third on the depth chart that's not in question but does he make the team versus does he make the practice squad versus is he just gone um i think that he's an interesting player to compare to what they were trying to do with chris streveler because they are similar style of player. I don't think either one of them is super well-developed in terms of throwing the football. Trace McSorley was most well-known at Penn State for his running ability and for being elusive, which is something, it's a characteristic that Kyler Murray has. Right. So in a lot of ways, uh, McSorley could be good on the practice squad as somebody to emulate other quarterbacks that they've I mean, think about it. They've built the whole depth chart kind of to emulate the style that Murray can play in, right? True. At a moment's notice, he can take off from the pocket and just go. No, I don't think Colt McCoy fits that, though. He used to, though. Like, back when Colt was at Texas, he was a lot... He was... More mobile than He had the ability to be more mobile. And even his early days with Cleveland, he had that mobility still. Obviously, injuries and moving around a lot and, you know, just time being a, a detriment to us all kind of caught up to him. So, yeah, but he still fits that mold of what Kyler Murray is, just not 100% that mold. What am I to make of the kicking woes in week one of the preseason? Because how, how did you miss the first extra point of preseason? How? Prater misses the first extra point. I think he missed, what, two kicks last night? He missed two of the five XPs. So I don't want to say like that's a huge deal in my mind. I, a lot of it I think I can just chalk up to, okay, he's getting it out of his system now. It, it's the start of a new season. Uh, Okay. I wouldn't think nerves would be a thing with a player of his caliber who's been in the league as long as he has. I wouldn't think so either, but 
Extra points are 33 yards away, right? He had one field goal last night from 27. And he was 3 of 5 on extra points. Like, I don't want 60% from 33 yards out from a very good long-standing kicker in this league. Yeah, I don't want to overreact and be like, hey, we need to get another kicker in here ASAP. What are you talking about? We're supposed to be overreacting to today. I'm not going that far, especially with a guy like Prater, who's been very, very good, especially with the inconsistencies that they faced, the Cardinals faced before him. It's like Catanzaro and and others and Zane Gonzalez. Zane Gonzalez is not that far removed. Yeah, so, I I mean, I'm comfortable with Matt Prater. I just to be something. Yeah, I don't want this to be a sign of things to come. Like, I just hope it's not an issue. For example, when Adam Vinatieri went downhill in Indianapolis, or when Greg Zerline went downhill in Dallas, like the signs, I don't want this to be one of them. And you know, preseason maybe won't tell us everything, but two or three preseason games might tell us a little bit more. Maybe it was just more present in my mind, or it stood out more because of the kicks that McPherson was making. For Fifty-eight the and fifty-six. He was nailing long shots, and he was he was hitting them with extra like distance to spare. He was responsible for almost half of the Bengals' points last night. He's a big reason that they had so much success in the playoffs last and year. And he's a big fan of Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. Well, that helps. I and guess. Mary J. Blige. I guess and that helps. Fifty Cent and everybody else who performed at the Super Bowl fi- Fifty Six. Oh yeah, show. he went out and watched the halftime shows. Yeah, I remember that. Good for him. He should do that. If you're in the Super Bowl, you deserve that. <laughs> I don't think unless your team is like getting coached or, or whatever. Uh, I mean, weren't the, I don't remember the score of the game. I don't want to. The Rams won that one. I want to forget about that. Coming up next, we are still waiting for one big thing to find out in the NBA. But we did get one piece of this thousand-piece puzzle today. We'll tell you what it is next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Final segment here on this Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. I teased going out of the previous segment that we're still waiting on one big thing to come out of the NBA this offseason. And, you know, quite frankly, if you're not asking about it. You probably didn't even think about it. So, no, it is not where is Kevin Durant going to play this upcoming season. Heck, more so, it's when is Kevin Durant going to be playing any of the games for whatever team he's on? If you haven't caught on by now, where is the NBA schedule? And why have we not seen it yet? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Do we usually have it by now? Normally, and this was a piece from Bright Side of the Sun's Dave King, it normally comes out this first or second week of August. And well, here we are, and we've got one piece so far of this thousand-piece puzzle. Sham Sharania with The Athletic reported earlier today that NBA's opening night and ring ceremony on TNT, Lakers at Warriors October 18th. So if you want to put that into context... Today's August 13th, and the NBA season starts on the 18th, and we know one game two months away. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, contextually, if you typically know the schedule by now, then you have to wonder what's the holdup. Is it outrageous for me to predict that they're holding up the schedule because they don't know where Kevin Durant is going to be playing basketball? I was going to make the same argument. It's possible. I mean, that is a huge domino to fall. Because, as you and I know, and they do this in the NFL, they do this in baseball, they do this in every league. 
They schedule opening night, in particular in the NBA, opening night, Christmas, uh, ring ceremonies. Any sort they of, schedule all these holidays. There's basically. a bunch of international games that we know. Those days that's it. inevitably have huge matchups. Right, the team that just won the championship versus the team that they lo- that lost the championship, uh, a team in L.A. versus a team in New York. You know, a matchup of great markets. They do that a lot in the NBA. I tend to think that they've probably figured out who's going to play who on the schedule. They're probably just tinkering around with who's going to play in what time slot. I'm trying to look up really quickly when we learned. That the Suns were going to play on Christmas, like when we learned about that last year. I'm trying to figure out. Okay. So from our website, it looks like the first story that I found was from August 17th of last year. Warriors Suns featured on NBA Christmas Day schedule for 2021. But remember, that season was also delayed because of the pandemic at the time. And because the bubble season didn't even finish until, oh gosh, what was it? August? Right? And then they didn't even start the regular season of that next year until close to Christmas. So the NBA schedule release this year is late, quite frankly. So here's a tweet from uh, Mark Stein, been covering the NBA for a long time. He said on August 6th, keep that in mind, this is a week ago, last Saturday, he said, Mm -hmm. I'm hearing that the full release of the NBA schedule for the 2022-2023 season is not expected until after next week, which would mean this past week we just went through. That, to me, says that the full schedule is coming in the next couple of days. More than likely. I'm still wondering why they're waiting so long. Well, if it is the Kevin Durant thing, think about how much power that gives to a player. That him determining where he's going to be playing basketball might impact a schedule. I, I doubt the league would ever even consider admitting that they're holding back, waiting for Durant to figure that whole thing out. Here's another thing from Stein, since I was mentioning the Christmas games. Um, and he emphasizes that there's change still possible, but it looks like Lakers in Dallas on Christmas is one. So we know, t- we know two Lakers games of their 82-game schedule... <laughs> and that's it. And we don't know anything else. Exactly. The Lakers always get the big ones. Um, if it is Durant, if that is the reason that they're holding this all up, has there ever been a player that's been still questioning where they'll be playing this late in the offseason? I mean, we're halfway through August. It's August 13th today. I don't know that we've ever seen a player of that caliber on the trade market how at this long? point in the offseason. I know he never got traded, but how long did Kobe's trade request hold up when it happened? Like, just before they had acquired Paul Gasol. Well, but that was always that was kind a of a... Before. But, like, that was during the offseason. Right. He requested a trade, and it was kind of hanging over everybody's heads, but I don't remember how that or if it impacted the release of the NBA schedule. To your point, because of the caliber of Durant, he could change a bevy of things as far as start times are concerned or... How many national games the Brooklyn Nets might get this year. Even outside of that, if you remove Durant from the Nets equation, you've still got star caliber players to put on national television. Kyrie Irving, the return of Ben Simmons. Like, How much does Kevin Durant really force the NBA to hold off releasing the schedule? It seems unjust. Well, and it's not like he's doing this. it's The Nets have the power whether or not they want to trade him or not. I mean, the league can still right. schedule the Nets to play whoever they want, and that's 
That's the schedule. Here's this, by the way. I'm reading this. Um, the NBA followed the same scheme in 2021 that they did this year, leaking a few details on August 17th. Obviously, we haven't gotten to August 17th yet, but they did that last year where they kind of announced the opening day and the Christmas Day games. The schedule release was on August 20th. But again, the delayed end to last season probably had an effect on that. Probably. Because when the finals ended in July, that was only a month later that we figured out the regular season schedule. Here we are. The finals ended in June. It's the second week of August. The first game, as we're learning, is the 18th of October. We've got two months left to figure out when these teams are actually going to play. Interesting new nugget today, too, about uh, Durant, or this week, I should say. Uh, Ian Begley, SNY's Ian Begley, reported Mm -hmm. that Durant now sees Boston, the Celtics, and Philadelphia, the 76ers, as desirable landing spots, which I find comical. Boston and Philly? Of course, Brooklyn. (laughs) Of course, he's gonna find Boston and Philadelphia appealing. They're two of the best teams in the East, and they're in the same division. Yeah, which leads me to believe that Brooklyn might not want to do those deals, especially with Boston, where the last time they did that, it didn't exactly work out in uh, Brooklyn's favor. And if Durant gets moved to any of those, you think he's circling every game on the calendar? Kind of deal. I don't know that he's that kind of player, to be honest. I don't think he, he okay, holds that. He's kind not of that kind of player. But we're talking about the dude who got his way out of OKC and went to the best team in the league, and then when he wanted to be the one to do it on his own, went to Brooklyn, and now here we are five years later, and he wants to go off again and hitch his wagon to somebody else. I think if I've learned anything about Kevin Durant this off season, it's that he's hitching that wagon to the wrong people. He's got bad judgment of who to invest his some, career in. Some really old tires that he's he, hitching onto. He put his his career in the hands of Kyrie Irving. Oops. Who not only has missed a ton of games, but then there's also this past season with the whole, is he vaccinated, is he not, became very clear very quickly that he was not. Mm-hmm. And then the team decided, you know, we're not, you're not allowed to play your home games. We're not going to let you play the away games because we don't want to have two different teams for home and away, basically. Mm-hmm. That whole thing blew up. The Ben Simmons deal, which Durant did not pick Ben Simmons, I'm guessing, but Ben Simmons doesn't love basketball either, and he's hasn't played the game in like 18 months or whatever it's been. Right. So Kevin Durant put a lot of eggs in the wrong basket, so to speak. And then there's the whole James Harden thing, and that blew up in their face, and Brooklyn missed out on that because they traded a lot of draft capital to Houston to get him, and then it doesn't work out. The only good decision Kevin Durant really did make was going to Golden State, and that was a no-brainer. Yeah, they just won 73 games. Of course I'm going to go there. It was going to work no matter what. It was never not going to work there. You know, it's funny, this whole... What started this week, basically, was the news from Shams Sharania that the, that the meeting between Joe Sy, the Brooklyn Nets owner, and Kevin Durant resulted in this ultimatum of it's either me or those two guys upstairs, those two guys meaning Sean Marks and Steve Nash. Bobby Marks, shortly after that came out, He's kind of confused by the story leak. He says it doesn't really help at all. It shouldn't have come out because it doesn't help Kevin Durant in the situation. I think it actually probably hurts him. I think it hurts his image um, as far as a player now asking not only the coach but mm-hmm. certainly the, uh, your general manager to be to be let go here. And I think I think if, if Ke- a year from now. Kevin Durant will look back on the situation and wish he had a do-over. Not to the fact that he asked to be traded. Hey, every player has a right to be traded. But how he has handled this situation as far as 
what has transpired the last couple days here. So I'll take it from Bobby's exact verbiage. Do you think he's going to regret how he handled this in terms of not asking for a trade, but in how he went about asking for a trade? It makes him look like a jerk. How many but guys people have had that opinion on him for years? Not many players have the power or ability to say, hey, it's either me or you fire everyone. Not many people do that. Right. Because it's a jerk thing. I mean, could you imagine if you did that like on this show? If you were like, hey, management, it's either me or you fire Steve and Trev. Like, that yeah. makes you look like a bad dude. I would come across as a bad dude. That's that's just the way it is. So, like, it, it it's not a good look, no matter who you are, no matter what caliber of player you are or or whether or not your teammate loves basketball or not. It just is a bad look. And so Bobby's right. I mean, also, kind of interesting thing I was thinking about the other day, is Kevin Durant the first human being to ever love the Phoenix Suns and hate Steve Nash? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a joke, but at the same time, like, that's kind of what's happening here. I don't know. Did, did people feel a certain way after Nash was traded to Dallas? I know that wasn't his choice, but... Second time around for the Suns seemed to do him wonders, right? I think Bobby's right. I mean, Kevin's not doing himself any favors. He but, made it harder for because every team around the league saw that and was like, "All right, he's definitely making it harder for us to trade." But for if him. he doesn't do that, then does he still get traded, or does he still force the issue enough to get traded? Clearly, it's like, not working. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Well, this is him taking it to DefCon One, right? To try and really, really force the issue. I guess it just depends on who you think has more power in this situation. Well, it's clear that both parties think they're the one with the greater power. So somebody had to make a move, and Kevin Durant did, whether to his benefit or his detriment. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the show today. We appreciate you spending some time with Arizona Sports Saturday. For Mitch Vareldis, for Trevor Henry behind the glass, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. Stay tuned. Uh, more on the way on Arizona Sports, 98.7 FM.